1966, the Metropolitan Opera moved into a glittering state-of-the-art opera house and launched a historic season to show off its new home. I'm Naomi Baratera. Today on the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, highlights from the Met's first season at Lincoln Center. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. To celebrate the 50th anniversary of its move to Lincoln Center, the Met has released a set of recordings called The Inaugural Season, Extraordinary Met Performances from 1966-67. It features 10 operas selected and remastered from that season's live radio broadcasts. Legendary stars filled the stage that year. Birgit Nielsen, Leontine Price, Joan Sutherland, Franco Corelli, Richard Tucker, and John Vickers, to name just a few. Opening night was September 16, 1966. An all-American cast performed the world premiere of Samuel Barber's Antony and Cleopatra in a production by Franco Zeffirelli. General Manager Rudolf Bing interviewed the evening's prima donna moments before curtain. Now, Cleopatra is Leontine Price from Laurel, Mississippi. Miss Price, you are opening this new house in the leading role. You portray, incidentally, one of the most famous women in history. And the role was especially written for you. Is there anything you care to say at this point? Yes, I will. First place, I'm anything but calm. I'm grateful to God for this privilege, this honor. I am exhilarated beyond belief and excited completely out of my skin. I am also excited, too, Mr. Bing, because tonight my hometown, Laurel, Mississippi, is now connected with our broadcast, and this makes me so proud of them. I cannot possibly tell you.
Leontine Price singing Cleopatra's aria Give Me My Robe from Samuel Barber's Antony and Cleopatra, the performance that opened the new Metropolitan Opera House on September 16, 1966. The opera also starred Justino Diaz and Jess Thomas and was conducted by Thomas Shippers. It's part of a newly released collection of 10 broadcasts from the Met's inaugural season at Lincoln Center. We'll hear more excerpts, interviews, and reminiscences from that season, but first, a little history. The opening of the new Met was a huge event, and as the Met's John Bischoff found, one that was a long time coming. The old Metropolitan Opera House at Broadway and 39th Street was revered as a shrine to a golden age. But as opulent as it was, many seats had compromised views and imperfect acoustics. And backstage, there was hardly any room. In a 1937 broadcast, Met Radio commentator Marcia Davenport squarely cast the blame. The lack of artistic foresight on the part of the people who built the Metropolitan Opera House is incredible almost to the point of absurdity. They made no provision for all kinds of technical, operatic, and musical necessities, but plenty for themselves. That's because the group of wealthy New Yorkers who founded the Met in the 1880s built the theater as a slap at society rivals who shot them out of box seats at New York's most prestigious opera house. Their new house had three tiers of boxes they would own in perpetuity. But the chorus had to rehearse in the restaurant. Costumes and props were made around town, and the scenery had to be dragged outside and trucked to a warehouse each night. In 1960, General Manager Rudolf Bing lamented the fate of elegant productions like La Traviata. Think of the scenery for that Traviata stacked on the sidewalk back on 7th Avenue, waiting to be hauled in for tonight's performance. At best, a few flapping tarpaulins protected from whatever the weather may be. As early as 1908, Met board chair Otto Kahn pledged to build a new house in just two or three years. Over the next few decades, numerous locations were proposed, from Central Park to Columbus Circle to 110th Street. A new Met was even the centerpiece of early plans for what became Rockefeller Center. All ideas ran into political or financial brick walls. Finally, in the 1950s, while redeveloping a west side neighborhood, New York City planner Robert Moses designated land for an art center that would turn the area into a cultural destination. The Met, the New York Philharmonic, and the Juilliard School joined an initiative to create Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. It would feature an expansive new Metropolitan Opera House as its centerpiece. It's approximately 450 feet long, and to give you an idea of what that means, it's like taking a 45-story office building and laying it on its side. That's the Met's Herman Krawitz, who oversaw planning and construction of the new house. It took 10 years and 44 drafts, but finally everything would fit under a single roof in a building 16 times larger than the old one. On September 16, 1966, opening night, the stage and house were filled for the world premiere of Samuel Barber's Antony and Cleopatra. At the top of the list of special guests was First Lady of the United States, Lady Bird Johnson. Oh, this building is incomparably beautiful. I walked in and you, and you have the feeling of, of red and gold and glitter, and the chandeliers are just like galaxies of stars. 
those chandeliers, the towering murals by Marc Chagall, and the building's arched facade quickly won the Opera House status as a New York City icon. In his pre-curtain speech, John D. Rockefeller III, chairman of Lincoln Center, pointed to the new Met as a jewel in its crown. Tonight, we are again reminded that the strength of this cooperative community of the performing arts is the distinction of its member organizations, and this will always be so. Lincoln Center would never have been possible if the Metropolitan Opera had not already existed as one of the world's greatest opera companies. Fifty years later, the new Met, like the old one, can claim its own illustrious history, which continues to unfold each night behind and in front of the curtain. For the Met, I'm John Bischoff. Met Radio commentator Ira Siff was a regular in the audience and backstage during the Met's first season at Lincoln Center. He remembers that things didn't go completely smoothly at first. An orchestra strike was averted on the day of the opening, and some productions were delayed. Extensive new stage machinery was to blame for technical glitches during rehearsals for Antony and Cleopatra. The Franco Zeffirelli production was so lavish that there were elements of the stage, uh, like the, the turntable broke down because it was too much weight on it. They'd miscalculated how much it could take. So instead of going around motorized, they had to then invent all these costumes for stagehands who marched it around. And poor Lean Team Price got stuck in the pyramid. And one could audibly hear her trying to get out. So I was quite apprehensive, actually, about this new house. Maybe they'd taken on too much too soon. When I went to the production of Frau Neschatten uh, that opened a couple of weeks later, by that time, everything was running like clockwork. It was astonishing. The set seemed to float out of nowhere toward you, and a scene would seamlessly go from one scene to another scene, taking us through this whole incredible fable, really the way your imagination would. It was clear this could never have happened in the old house. This production simply could not have been staged. And that was a clincher. And, of course, that cast, Leonie Riesenick, Krista Ludwig, Walter Berry, James King under Carl Berm, you know, it was, it was something quite amazing musically and vocally as well. And the ovations were just staggeringly enthusiastic. And it was a, a thrilling work people didn't know.
Leonie Riesenek singing an excerpt from Richard Strauss's Die Frau ohne Schatten, conducted by Carl Böhm. The Met staged the opera for the first time during its inaugural season in its new house. We just heard an excerpt from that live broadcast on December 17, 1966. Birgit Nilsson was one of the Met's reigning dramatic sopranos for more than 20 years. A highlight of the first season at Lincoln Center was her performance of Puccini's Turandot, with tenor Franco Corelli singing Kalaf. Ira Siff remembers their unique chemistry. Corelli and Nilsson, or I should say Corelli versus Nilsson, one of the great collaborations slash competitions in operatic history. And those of us who witnessed it were incredibly fortunate. How to describe these two voices is... Well, Nielsen's voice was slender, like, like a laser beam of sound that carried effortlessly to the corners of the house. It sounded a bit like someone simply speaking in a sustained way until she got to high notes, which were, they were propelled with a tiny pop and then seemed to linger up in the chandelier area of the house, spinning out a large but very crystalline sound, but not at all heavy. And what impresses me so much in this recording, in addition to Nilsson's prodigious voice, is her keen interpretation of the princess. Her riddle scene is simply riveting. And she sails through Turndos' treacherous entrance aria in Cuesta Regia as if it were easy, but still doesn't rob it of its excitement. Quite the opposite. And you can hear in this broadcast what a powerhouse Corelli was, those thrilling, full-throated sounds but also what dynamic control he had with that huge voice, able to do stunning diminuendos, all manner of shading. The Nessun Dorma is, of course, wonderful, but so is everything. His high C in Act Two, when he offers to release Turinda from her oath after he answers the riddles, is something we are so lucky to be able to experience again and again on this recording. In 1994, Nilsson talked about her special collaboration with Corelli in a Met Radio interview with George Jelinek. Oh, he had a, a fantastic voice, as everyone knows. Incredible pair of lungs. He could keep a high note as long as he wanted, I think. If you have it, show it. And he loved to keep on to the high notes. And you have to be good if you were halfway able to follow him, you know. And uh, he was a, he's a very nice man. And uh, in the beginning, we were a little bit afraid of each other. And... Um, he probably thought I was awful woman, I don't know. But uh, after a time, he calmed down, and it was wonderful singing with him. But we never know if he was really going to sing, because he came so late to the performance, 10 minutes before a performance. The whole house was shaking. But uh, Rudolf Bing, he had a very good hand with him. Yeah, it was a case of stage fright. Uh, yeah. he, he, he was yes, terri yes, terrified yes, of the stage. Yes, he had. And I don't know what he has to be afraid of, because he had more voice than, you know, he could almost husband, you know. Yes. Fantastic. And uh, very good looking, of course, on stage. And I, I never forget all those tournaments we had together because it was like a bullfight. <laughs> they were saying, who was going to die today? Who is going to sing, hold the highest C and longest, you know? <laughs> and I was nervous like a rack. I tried to show that oh, I always said, oh, Turando, this is my vacation role. <laughs> and, and when Corelli was walking around like a lion in a cave, I was sitting there reading New York Times, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I, I hold it upside down. You know, because <laughs> it didn't make sense. I was so nervous. But still, I wanted to show, show him that for me, it was no problem. <laughs> 
oh, it was fantastic. And the public were so they were almost they were not sitting in the chair. They were half standing when the high seas came. Oh, it was fantastic. Birgit Nilsson and Franco Corelli singing in Questa Regia from Puccini's Turandot, conducted by Zubin Mehta. That broadcast from December 3, 1966, also featured Morella Frani. The opera is featured in a new collection celebrating the Met's 50th anniversary at Lincoln Center, titled The Inaugural Season, Extraordinary Met Performances from 1966-67. On New Year's Eve 1966, Joan Sutherland starred at the Met as Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor, the role that made her an international sensation. Richard Tucker sang opposite her as Edgardo. Ira Siff remembers their extraordinary performances. At this time, Joan Sutherland was 
Lucia. She was so closely identified with the role it, it had, you know, served as her 1961 Met debut in the old house, and Richard Tucker was her Edgardo then as well. And that was my first significant opera experience, and it got me hooked for life. A few years later, a new production was done for her, and when that production came to the new Met at Lincoln Center, it also marked the Met debut of her husband, conductor Richard Bonning. This was a partnership that lasted her entire career, and it meant for Sutherland that there was always someone on the podium with whom she'd prepared her roles and who'd lend full support. On stage, Joan was a riveting Lucia this time, retaining a good deal of the interpretation she'd worked out with Franco Zeffirelli for her breakthrough Lucia at Covent Garden that had made her star. She darted about the stage in her amazing version of the mad scene while tossing off vocal roulades with astonishing accuracy and dramatic intent. And for this 1966 broadcast, Joan was in stunning voice, as was her leading man, Richard Tucker. I will never forget the sound of Tucker's voice in the house ringing out so beautifully in Edgardo's death scene, although by this time he was a veteran tenor at the Met. He sounds so youthful in this performance. The tone is rich and secure, the high notes spinning out and ringing with that special Tucker squillo. And I think this recording is one of those amazing documents that not only confirms one's memories, but surpasses them. Thank you. 
Joan Sutherland singing The Mad Scene from Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor, conducted by Richard Bonning, a performance broadcast on December 31st, 1966. A few weeks later, tenor John Vickers made history at the Met with another mad scene and his very first performance of a role that he would come to own, Peter Grimes. Benjamin Britten's opera was one of eight new productions created for the Met's inaugural season at Lincoln Center. It was conducted by Colin Davis in his Met debut and directed by Tyrone Guthrie. Met radio commentator Ira Siff. It was a shattering experience, period. That's the only way I can describe John Vickers' performance as Peter Grimes. There are interpretations so indelible one thinks only of this singer when imagining that character. It was like watching real events about this person that an opera was later based on. Vickers' voice was a force of nature. It was huge, but not heavy. His diction was very bright and clear. Words took on tremendous impact in Vickers' hands. The voice could be beautiful, very beautiful, but he was never afraid to sacrifice sheer beauty for expression. His grimes had a physical presence, somewhat lumbering, awkward, blunt, but it also had a vocal presence all its own. It was a voice of of an outsider, not exactly pleasant, not endearing, but towering, scary, a bright sound covering a dark inner life. Very hard to describe, but when you hear the performance on this recording, it says it all. Just the final mad scene for Grimes alone, were that the only record of Vickers singing and of his Grimes, it would place him in the pantheon of singing actors. Vickers' infinite colors, his vocal expression, from the most fragile sort of whimpering to the most powerful outpouring, none of it feels mannered. And the way he sculpts and molds the intricate cadenza on the word Grimes, it's all staggeringly brilliant. And as always at the Met, the supporting roles in Grimes were cast in depth. The great baritone, Geraint Evans, Lucina Mara, Jean Madeira, Lily Chikazian, and, of course, Colin Davis conducting. This is a dream document. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Take away your hand. The argument's finished. Friendship lost. Gossip be shouting. Everything said. To hell with all your mercy. To hell with your revenge. Shouting my name. Do you hear them? Do you hear them? Oh, Davy Jones, shall answer. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come home. Peter Grimes, Peter Grimes, Peter Grimes, Peter Grimes. John Vickers singing the mad scene from Benjamin Britten's Peter Grimes, conducted by Colin Davis. That performance, broadcast on February 11, 1967, is featured in a new collection of recordings celebrating the Met's 50th anniversary at Lincoln Center. Five Verdi operas were staged at the new opera house during its inaugural season, including Rigoletto, which showcased a remarkable trio of stars. Cornell McNeil in the title role, Roberta Peters as Gilda, and Nikolai Geta in his first performances as the Duke. Geta sang the role only five times at the Met, including just one broadcast. That recording has been released for the first time as part of the inaugural season collection. Radio commentator Ira Siff says it captures an unforgettable performance. While the Rigoletto of Cornell McNeil and the Gilda of Roberta Peters are well known to Met audiences of a certain age, any tendency to take for granted these considerable artists is immediately exploded by the singing and acting they contribute on this performance, a performance even as a collector I'd never heard. McNeil's legato, great high notes, sense of Italian style are in evidence, and the beloved Peters is at a point at which, still in her prime, the voice has gained in body and impact while her virtuosic coloratura is entirely intact. She gives everything in the extended duet with Rigoletto in the second act, as does McNeil. One can't help but be moved by Verdi's brilliant writing and their performances. But the big surprise for me is Nikolai Geta. Incredible. Geta's vocal virility, so important for the Duke, is astonishing. I mean, we all know what an artist Geta was, and his phrasing and dynamic shading here is as impressive as ever. But there's also a ring in the voice, and an Italian at spin in the vibrato, I can actually say I don't recall hearing from him, and I heard him a great, great deal.
was Roberta Peters and Nikolai Guetta singing the Act One duet from Verdi's Rigoletto, conducted by Lamberto Gardelli in a performance broadcast on April 8, 1967. Ten performances from that season, including Aida, Madama Butterfly, Otello, and Die Zauberflotte, are part of the new collection, The Inaugural Season, Extraordinary Met Performances from 1966-67. to 67. It celebrates the 50th anniversary of the Metropolitan Opera House at Lincoln Center, it's available on iTunes, MetaOpera On Demand, and as a box set of 10 CDs. A bonus CD includes highlights from other operas that season, plus interviews broadcast from backstage on opening night of the new opera house. Special thanks to Met Radio commentator Ira Siff for sharing his memories of that historic season. I'm Naomi Baratera. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. <laughs>